I'm really excited about today's film, Joe. We're going to talk about a really nice uh, movie with a great soundtrack. Uh, it's about two young men named Travis and Bobhead. Really? Oh, well. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Aren't those the two kids that have been whacking off in my tool shed? And welcome to another excellent episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where music fans and movie fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your co-host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my belligerent and uh, sugar addled co-host Libby Cudmore. Libby, what is happening? Oh, not much. I'm really excited about tonight's episode. As you probably guessed from the uh, the intro, tonight we are talking about uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America, which is, I don't think it's hyperbole to say, the greatest film ever made. I absolutely 100% agree, and you film scholars out there can fight us about it. Yeah, this is an amazing movie. This really is. It's it's we're we're stuck in the night the late nineties once again on the show, but I really don't mind because we're in that sweet spot of like road trip comedies that I kind of live for. Oh yeah, that was that was really the hallmark of the nineties is road trip comedies, which I realize the older I get and the more of these movies we sort of watch, I I realize how profound an influence they had on me mm-hmm. because I fucking love road trips. My husband and I took a two week long cross country road trip for our honeymoon. Uh, those of you who may have seen on Twitter, we just uh, celebrated our four year wedding anniversary. So congratulations. Way to go. Thank you. And um, I, w- when we were watching this the other night, I looked at him. I was like, we should recreate the road trip from Beavis and Butthead to America for our next trip. Fly to Las Vegas. Get a bus, go to the Hoover Dam, the Grand Canyon, uh, Yellowstone, and then Washington, D.C.? Yep. That sounds like a really good trip, actually. Petrified Forest? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, and we have friends in D.C., so it'd be great to see them, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure they'd love to have 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 y'all drop in. Yeah, just skip the fucking Midwest. Yeah, just drive straight on through. It's nothing but corn. (laughs) No, I love the Midwest. (laughs) <laughs> I've I've never been there. I would love to see it sometime. Like people tell me I'm crazy, but because like, oh, it's just nothing but corn out there. I know. I would love to drive around and see that sometime. But alas, ask me about Kansas sometime, and we'll talk. Well, okay, that's <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Beavis and Butthead do America is it's I don't know. Beavis and Butthead is a f- foundational thing for me anyway. And then when you make a movie out of it. There's something about this that really just kind of informed so much of my adolescence that I'm kind of not comfortable talking about it. But welcome <laughs> to the podcast. That's what we do here. Um, Before we get to Beavis and Butthead Do America, yes. let's uh, look at this week's poll. Okay. So last last episode, we talked about The Wedding Singer, which was such a fun episode. Our longest yet. We had a lot of music to get through. So we did Tons. a... Battle Royale poll. Two, there was uh, the music from The Wedding Singer and more music from The Wedding Singer. So 
with 38%, The Smiths' How Soon Is Now took our uh, volume one poll. Uh, second was, with 31%, was Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? With 16%, China Girl. And with 15%, Video Killed the Radio Star. Round two of that poll, with 53% of the vote, White Wedding. With 29% of the vote, Somebody Kill Me Please. With 12% of the vote, Hold Me Now. And with 6% of the vote, Rapper's Delight. A whole one one of you voted Rapper's Delight. So you guys owe Ellen Dow an apology. Mm-hmm. Disc two. Uh, with 50% of the vote, I love every single one of you who voted for this. Uh, you Make My Dreams by Hall & Oates. 29% voted for Love Stinks. 21% voted for Space Age Love Song. Very nice. And 0% voted for Madonna's Holiday. <laughs> you guys Aww. don't deserve Madonna. It wasn't Madonna. It was Adam Sandler. <laughs> it's Madonna's version on the soundtrack. Oh, well, okay, fine. I can't believe y'all disrespected her like that. So part two of More Music from the Wedding Singer. With 53% of the vote, Private Idaho pulled out a win. That was pretty low at the beginning, but uh, I don't know if my friends from Discord and Rhyme came in and, and weighed the voting, but uh, put their fingers on the scale, but you guys did it. I voted for uh, money, uh, which did not help it at all. No. Um, 18% of you voted for True. Featuring the best damn guitar player in the world, Steve Buscemi. No, not really. Uh, 17% voted for Grow Old With You, and 12% voted for Money. <sighs> oh, well. Oh, well. So, try to, you, you try to be different, and look what happens. <laughs> so the final poll uh, brought in How Soon Is Now, White Wedding, You Make My Dreams, and Private Idaho. How Soon Is Now by the Smiths, despite the fact that Morrissey is a trash fire, still reigns supreme with 37% of the vote. I would like to now uh, congratulate Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20 on their well-earned victory. I hate you. <laughs> you know it's true. Oh, Hall & Oates came in with a respectable 30% on You Make My Dreams. Uh, Billy Idol's White Wedding took 23%. And Private Idaho just couldn't pull it out and took uh, 10%. What what really surprises me about all those polls is that most of them were pretty even. Like even the last one, it was kind of neck and neck for a while with all of those songs. Yeah. So like it was. That's a testament to how good those soundtracks are. Yeah. So uh, keep an eye out. We'll have a poll for uh, Beavis and Butthead to America shortly after this posts. Yes. <clears throat> Not as extensive as uh, Wedding Singers, no. but still, it's still going to be fun. So before uh, we get into the soundtrack for Beavis and Butthead Do America proper, uh, I do have to take you to billboarding school for just a minute. This is my segment where uh, check out the big billboard charts and see where the soundtrack landed uh, the week that it premiered. So let's have a look here. Uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America debuted on the billboard charts November 23rd, 1996 at 71 on the Hot 200 album charts. Uh, it spent a total of 21 weeks on the charts. On its 10th week, it got all the way up to number 20. Hmm. Uh, most of that time, number one was held by uh, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And the week that Beavis and Butthead was knocked off the charts, the number one soundtrack in America, Space Jam. Space Jam comes in again. This is not the last time we will see you, Space Jam. 
Space Jam is a plague. Okay, it is. kind of is. It really is, and it gets it gets worse with every passing year. <laughs> because guess what? We can't talk about R. Kelly anymore. Yeah, uh, which is fine because that song is garbage. It's hot garbage. Anyway, so let's move on to Beavis and Butthead, shall we? We shall indeed. All right. So, Joe, how did you come across Beavis and Butthead? That's an odd story. Um, do you remember uh, a thing in the 90s called the Columbia House Record Club? Heck yeah, I do. My dad signed up for that at some point. And he had rules. And every once in a while, they would send him a CD that he really, he either forgot that, that, he, that he was doing this or just was not interested in. And he would just throw it to me and say, here, here you go, kid. And one, <laughs> one week, it was the Beavis and Butthead Experience album, which was the, kind of the soundtrack for the TV show. Oh, boy. That Come was, to Butthead. Yes. That was my first exposure to this thing called Beavis and Butthead. That soundtrack ruined me, and I feel like we have to put a pin in that for another, a whole other episode. <laughs> My husband had to stop me from buying that on vinyl. He's like, you will never listen to this. I'm like, but it has come to butthead on it. He's you, like, no. I, I know someone with store. a record player who would totally play it. It's true. Maybe. I do know someone with a record player who would totally play it. That's all I'm going to say. And, and his birthday is coming up soon. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, so that was my first exposure to Beavis and Butthead. The movie... Uh, I, I never actually got to watch the TV show, not because my parents didn't want me to watch it, but because our cable package did not have MTV. Huh. It, it was like one of the few channels we just plain didn't get. Like it was, We had a weird cable package where during the day it would be VH1, and then as soon as it hit 6 p.m. at night, it would switch to Comedy Central. I think I remember that yeah. kind of package, because I feel like I had we probably had the same thing. That but, feels very familiar. Yeah. But also, we had no MTV, so like I never saw the show or anything like that. When the movie came out, it kind of came and went, and I kind of forgot about it. But once it came out on video, my friends and I made a point of renting it, because we were having a sleepover one night, and one of our friends was an exchange student from Australia. Oh, boy. Whose name escapes me, and I, I hate that. But when we went to the video store, we said, we're going to teach him a little something about America. So we went to rent Beavis and Bud to America. The clerk at the at the register rolled his eyes so hard at us, he just gave it to us for free. <laughs> what was his issue? I think he just was really uh, disdainful, not a fan of Beavis and Butthead. I don't know. Oh, what? Okay, video store clerk, since you're such a fucking cool guy, Randall. <laughs> yeah, for real. It was yeah. It was he was Randall. Oh my god, he was Ooh, hillbilly cool Randall. Cool boy. Probably a film studies major, whatever community college is down there. <laughs> that guy's uh, now an angry internet commenter. I guarantee it. He probably listens to our show, too. <laughs> we hear you. We see you, dude. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, we watched it. Our minds were blown and my world was never the same. Libby, uh, how did you first come about uh, Beavis and Butthead? Like you, I've seen very little of the show when it first aired. Um. My mom would not let me watch it, and my dad did not have the cable package that mm. had MTV. So I never saw Beavis and Butthead. I remember that my uh, neighbor down the street, Niles Voyer MacGyver, had the video game on his, uh, whatever the portable Sega Genesis was. I don't even remember. The Game Gear. The Game Gear, yeah. He had it on the Game Gear. Wow. And I remember, you know, people going like, fire, fire, and <laughs> sort of that that those catchphrases i was not allowed to watch it i think my older sister probably was so 
the 90s drifted by, and it wasn't until I was out of college and living in New York City. And I think I'd had a really, really shitty day. And my husband was like, well, let's watch Beavis and Butthead to America. I'm like, I've never seen anything Beavis and Butthead. And he couldn't believe it. And especially <laughs> because I was a fan of Daria. Oh, yeah, and, that's right. And that's that's a spinoff. So we rented it from probably from a, a blockbuster up the street from me. And... It was the funniest fucking thing I had ever seen in my life. Like, I was a little worried, like, it wouldn't, if you hadn't seen it as a kid in the 90s or as a teenager in the 90s, you wouldn't get it. No. I was on the floor. Yeah, like, looking at it from a distance, Beavis and Butthead really is, like, it's it has that air of, like, lowbrow, dumb, fart joke kind of humor until you actually watch it, and then you kind of realize what the joke is. Yeah, and it's... This film is remarkably high concept for an incredibly lowbrow art. Yes. Uh, I still firmly believe this is Mike Judge's best movie. Like, I know people... Easy. 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 Like, Office Space, sure, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Idiocracy is super duper problematic now, and we don't really talk about it. Everything else kind of sucks. But Beavis and Butthead Do America is, like, remarkably well executed and funny as hell, and I love it. And it's surprising because a lot of movies uh, that we've seen come out of the 90s, as we've talked about, have these problematic elements. This one has surprisingly few. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't cross the lines that you would assume that it would. And a lot of it has actually aged, not, not at a plateau, but actually really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, this all works in in the modern day some of it's a little kind of iffy there's some sort of some gay jokes that aren't great but they're not the worst they're certainly not the worst we're gonna see on this podcast yeah i mean it's it's tough too because like you can see the 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 awful jokes coming like a mile away but they don't land that hard you know like the, yeah. it's, it's like they they even then they kind of knew that they that they didn't want to offend those people because that's not who they're out to get. They're out to yeah. get they're out to get Beavis and Butthead basically. Like the I think Roger Ebert really famously pointed out that like the movie hates these characters. Yeah, they're agents of chaos. Yeah. Everything happens around them and to them and in the end you realize they get nothing. They're not rewarded. They get their TV back. But they don't get the money. They don't get the girl. They get nothing. Yeah, it, it's like every good sitcom. Like it, everything comes back around, and everything is exactly the way it was when it started. And they do not change. There's no hero's arc for them. No, no, they don't it's learn amazing. a lesson. They don't uh, advance at their station in life. None of that happens. It's just they go on a wacky adventure, and they kind of don't even realize it. Yeah, and that's what's hysterical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we really get into it, um. Along with Mike Judge, uh, Joe Stillman w- uh, wrote this film. Mm-hmm. Joe Stillman also was the co-writer of Shrek. Oh, and no. And the screenplay writer for Shrek 2. We can't get away from Shrek, can we? It's, it's impossible. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come around forever. He also God. wrote a couple episodes of The Adventures of Pete and Pete. He was a writer on Beavis and Butthead. And uh, he okay, also well. wrote for Doug. And the TV show Clueless. 
That is a remarkably uh, broad uh, resume he's got yeah. there. <laughs> yes. So the guy that wrote Shrek also wrote Beavis and Butthead. He could, they could have put a uh, Smash Mouth song in here if they so chose. They really could. Like that, this was like right when they were about to break big. Fushimang uh, came out in 1994. Whoa. Longer ago than I've remembered. Yes. Jeez. That is older than Beavis and Butthead to America. That makes me feel old. Yep, they're eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, hey, here's a question. Yes. Are Beavis and Butthead eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Um, when did the Beavis and Butthead experience come out? I want to say it was 1994. Then yes, they are. Because they, they perform a song on, two or three songs on that album. Yes, indeed. So, And I believe uh, one of the videos features Cher. Yes. I'm sorry, 1993, even older. So, Greg Harris, if you are listening, please, please get Beavis and Butthead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Honestly, if any cartoon was going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it would be Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, or the you know? fucking Archies. <laughs> no. Heavy metal, maybe. But no. Beavis and Butthead, definitely. You know who's on the heavy metal soundtrack? Who? Donald Fagan of Steely Dan. How did I know you were going to bring Steely Dan into yes! this somehow? Yes, because I'm me. Um, okay, actually, so if you're playing along with me at home, now is the time to take a drink. <laughs> but actually, so we put this out to our, our Twitter fandom about when they heard about Beavis and Butthead. So we've got a couple of replies. Uh, Chris Crash said, I didn't even know of its existence until my mom said I wasn't allowed to watch it because she heard it was dangerous on Oprah or some shit. <laughs> so, of course, I found a late night rerun in the TV guide and fucking watched it. Like, this was in the heyday of people thinking Beavis and Butthead was going to cause the downfall of society. I remember an episode where Beavis was a drug mule and swallowed a condom of drugs. There was a text disclaimer of, warning, do not swallow a condom of drugs in real life. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Dan Watkins said he was in fifth grade 1993, so most of my friends and I talked about Beavis and Butthead endlessly the way most guys talk about sports. We were cooler, though. Dan, I I agree. I can relate, yes. Absolutely. Uh, our friend Dashing Drew Rude of the Shattered Shield podcast said brother was big into music when he was younger, told me about this funny new show with a couple guys that just trashed music all the time. And Rob said, I don't remember first encountering it, but I'll never forget my mother complaining about Beavis the Butthead. <laughs> and also um, at, at Prosper Dave replied to me directly, lucky enough to catch frog baseball on liquid TV at my grandma's house as a budding little animation nerd. Pretty sure it was a hot summer day, and I was hanging with my cousin, and we were stunned. Holy that's, shit. Frog baseball. That's taking it way back. Yeah, that's, liquid TV. That's Man. a deep cut. That's awesome. Yeah. So the the lesson here is that uh, the Beavis and Butthead really is sort of the wheelhouse of every like early 30s dude, I think. Yeah, it kind of is. Um, my husband said I, that he was allowed to watch it in part. Uh, I believe if I'm getting this right, and he'll let me know if I'm not, until his mother got sick of him doing the voice. His <laughs> mother, I will say this, does a surprisingly good Beavis laugh. <laughs> Shout out to my mother-in-law, Jennifer Kemper. That is awesome. She's she's great. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, Joe, before we hop into the, the, mov- the soundtrack, talk about the movie. What happens in uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America? 
Uh, well, Beavis and Butthead Do America was like Paramount's big Christmas release for 1996. That alone is amazing. <laughs> um, it was like it was at the time that it came out. I'm doing stats and stuff. Forgive me. Uh, at the time it came out, it was the biggest December box office opening ever. Until the next year when Scream 2 came out, and then a week later, Titanic came out. Fuck but both of those. For a brief like window of time, Beavis and Butthead Do America was like a record holder. A box office record holder. But anyway. We could have had it all, America. You could you could have had everything, but no. You had to fucking never let go, Jack. Yeah, Titanic uh, is like the blood enemy of this podcast. Appar- apparently, you know. So the movie... It's a mercifully short, like, 80 minutes. I don't know that it could have lasted longer than 80 minutes, but, like, this is, like, the perfect length for a Beavis and Butthead movie. It is it, remarkably tight. The it, whole thing. It really, no really fat. is. But it's about Beavis and Butthead discovering that their TV has been stolen and kind of going on a cross-country road trip to get their TV back. Along the way, they are hired by a drug-dealing grifter named Muddy who is voiced by Bruce Willis, of all people, who hires them to murder, go to Las Vegas and murder his wife. Or uh, her, specifically to do his to wife. To do his wife. And they are all about that. I'll pay you 10 grand plus expenses, all payable after you do her. Uh, do her? Uh, That's right, do her. Uh, I'm offering you $10,000 plus expenses to do my wife. We got a deal? Um, actually, we just want to watch TV. Shut up, Beavis. <laughs> because his wife is, uh... Dallas, voiced by Demi Moore, which, you know, Bruce Willis facing off against Demi Moore, like, right before those two uh, got a nasty divorce. That's kind of a fun uh, little meta gag, I guess. (laughs) They get to Las Vegas, and then she discovers their plan to do her. And in return, she tells them to meet her in Washington, D.C., but not before hiding a biological weapon in Beavis's pants. So they go on this cross-country road trip on a holiday tours-esque uh, bus tour across America with a bunch of old people. And as they make their way across America, they are tailed by Muddy and the FBI. And I'm pretty sure there's somebody else involved that I'm forgetting. Yeah, I think you're good. Okay. Um, but it's a wacky road trip where Beavis and Butthead really don't know what they're up to or in for. And they're kind of just marveling at the sights along the way like... A donkey pooping on the rim of the Grand Canyon, <laughs> self-flushing toilets, and petrified wood. <laughs> <laughs> this is the greatest, like, video brochure for America I've ever seen. It does. It, it really is. It's kind of a miracle that this movie got made, to be honest. It, it really is, because as they were producing the movie, Paramount apparently really wanted to make this live action Because they wanted to lose money. They just wanted to flush money right down the toilet. Like, we've got something great. Let's just throw money out the window. Look, you can, when you're making a Beavis and Butthead movie, you can do one of two things. You can just make the damn movie the way Mike Judge wants to make it, or you can make the strangest fucking thing any of us will ever see in our lives. Fortunately, they took the first route. On a coin toss. Yes, it was apparently very close. It was a choice between there were there were sort of two versions. Uh, at one point, they wanted uh, Chris Farley and David Spade. The other version would have been David Spade and Adam Sandler. And I'm pretty sure this version actually exists and is screening when you get into hell. 
There's, I'm pretty sure there's like three or four movies with that exact description on Netflix right now. <laughs> hell is hell is here on Earth, baby. Yes. <laughs> and um, so, uh, so this, the legend goes that it was going to be a coin toss between the Adam Sandler, David Spade version and the animated version that everyone knew and loved and just wanted to see a goddamn Beavis and Butthead movie. Mike Judge won the coin toss, and we have Beavis and Butthead to America. But it doesn't stop there. Because once they finally decided to do the animated movie, then the executives at the studio were like, okay, great. Who can we hire to do the voices of Beavis and Butthead? Like, they were actually going to go out and just hire comedians. And so they went down the checklist of, like, Mr. Van Driesen, who does that character? And Mike Judge had to go, oh, that's me. Okay. Uh, Principal McVicker, who does that character? Oh, that's me again. Okay. What about Beavis? That's me. Butthead? That's me, too. So like, they basically, he had to tell them, like, look, I do all the voices on the, on the show. Just let me do it. Yeah, and so the addition of uh, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore, who at that time were huge, seems almost forced. It works, and I'm fine with it, but it's definitely a Hollywood addition. Also, uh, Robert Stack as the FBI agent, the man whose voice terrified an entire generation. (laughs) To this day, that voice still unnerves me. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries is... I think, honestly, if you look at the rates of anxiety in our generation, it could all be traced back to Unsolved Mysteries and Robert fucking Stack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Update. His uh, second-in-command was voiced by Greg Kinnear. In an uncredited role. Mm-hmm. Chief, you know that guy whose camper they were whacking off in? Mork, you are a federal agent. You represent the United States government. Never end a sentence with a preposition. And also, I guess, I think maybe the finest performance in the entire film, the old lady that Beavis and Butthead constantly run into in this film is voiced by Cloris fucking Leachman. Yes. And she is amazing. Yes, she is. She is the MVP of this film. Are you two heading for Las Vegas? Yeah. We're going to score. <laughs> oh, well, I hope to score big there myself. I'm mostly going to be doing the slots. Yeah, I'm hoping to do some sluts, too. Yeah. Do they have a lot of sluts in Las Vegas? Oh, there's so many sluts who won't know where to begin. Uh, so, Libby, are you ready to dive into the soundtrack? I'm ready for love. <laughs> so, uh, with the soundtrack, where do we want to begin? Well, I think we need to begin with the greatest song ever, which is, uh, this is part of our Under the Cover series, and it is the Red Hot Chili Peppers covering the Ohio Players' Love Roller Coaster. Let's go to a clip. <laughs> is it about this song that's so good because let me tell you it's amazing <laughs> it is it's everything for starters it's a great song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the it shouldn't work because anthony Kiedis like rapping over this funk beat should not work at all and it's it's weird and it's muted back in the mix and all of the the amazing horn parts from the ohio players are now done on kazoos Yes. And I wasn't sure if it was really Kazoo's or not until I saw that music video for this yes. mu- this uh, song where Beavis and Butthead are in the video playing Kazoo's. While riding a roller coaster. While riding a roller coaster. Actually, I've got a, a funny, a fun story about this song. Yes. 
the I've heard this song, you know, since the movie came out. I know it. I've heard it a ton of times. Never saw the video before until last year. I saw this video for the first time at a Margaritaville in Las Vegas. Okay, well, I hate all of that for starters, except yes, for the part about that might have been the worst sentence I've ever said. But uh, yeah, so we're at, we're at the Margaritaville in Las Vegas, and they're they're playing random music videos on the big screen, like on the opposite wall. And somebody in my family is, is saying something about something. I'm really not paying attention because I hear the song start, and I immediately look up to the screen, and there's this music video of an animated Red Hot Chili Peppers and Beavis and Butthead riding a roller coaster, and I am just fascinated. <laughs> I zoned out everything that was going on for like four minutes while I just watched this video play on a wall. And this video, um, there's sort of three main songs that play in this. And this is the second one. And it's played in its entirety when they arrive in Las Vegas as they're looking around at, like, the mermaid's giant boobs. Mm -hmm. And then they're doing their weird Beavis and Butthead dance on the dance floor uh, in front of a funk band that I'm a little disappointed that they didn't dress up the animated Red Hot Chili Peppers in, like, blue tuxes with ruffled shirts. Mm Mm-hmm. But we can't have everything. It's more realistic to what Las Vegas looks like to just have some random crappy band be playing a song back mm-hmm. there. Is because this like montage of them like visiting Las Vegas for the first time is actually like really, really well done. And it's it's so old now that like half the casinos that you see in that montage don't exist anymore. Yeah. And that's like, one of one of the things about this film that I, I love. It is very firmly nineteen ninety six. There are uh, they when they fly to Las Vegas on Muddy's dime, uh, there are meals served on the airplane, <laughs> yeah. which is it, like it's like watching. You might as well watch a film set in like nineteen forty five. Yeah, like what is this? The Twilight Zone? Yeah, the nineteen sixties. Like you could probably smoke on that plane too. Yeah, <laughs> and and not to mention like the 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 cockpit is the cockpit door is like very clearly not locked. Yeah, and that it's they're not even arrested. Yeah, nothing happens to them. They they just like walk right onto the plane. Like everything is cool. Like there's yeah. not a, an air marshal or anything. <laughs> I know it's a it's a much more innocent time. <sighs> I miss the nineties. Yeah, they were great. But yeah, love roller coasters are, are really just. It's a fun song, kind of despite the fact that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are kind of embarrassing now. They're a little embarrassing, but they're this is fun and it's yeah. a great song to like get down to put this on you cannot help but like dance around your living room so i will shake it to this Mm. this soundtrack uh has a few more notable covers including uh engelbert humperdinck singing lesbian seagull wait that's a cover that is a cover lesbian seagull settle down and rest with me Uh, I think a lot of us, uh, if you're anything like me, assumed that that song, which is sung by Mr. Van Dreisen, who is sensitive and wears sandals and is sort of the uh, a mockery of the hippie teacher. I always thought it was something that he just made up to be the most ridiculous, sort of soft, gentle, not offensive PC thing you could think of. 
And uh, like it's, it's so not. strange. You just assume that's part of the movie. Yeah, because, yeah. like, it's so absurd. Like, lesbian seagull, what? Well, it was originally recorded and released in 1979. Good Lord. <laughs> by an artist named Tom Wilson Welberg on his album, The Gay Name Game. Huh. It gets weirder. I'm ready. He wrote and composed it in response to a government study of long-term monogamous lesbian behavior in seagulls. So happy Pride Month, everyone. Seagulls enjoy lesbian relationships, and we're happy for them and all of God's creatures. You know, I'm, I'm like, more impressed that this is, like, the uh, the most literal song ever and not some weird metaphor I just don't get. (laughs) It's literally about lesbian seagulls. That makes me feel better, I guess. (laughs) So, and actually... um, the story goes that Mike Judge had heard it on David Letterman on a segment he called Dave's Record Collection and contacted Weinberg himself about uh, using it in the film. And he was game. So and, Engelbert and then, Humperdinck recorded it. Yeah, I guess from there, they just got Engelbert Humperdinck to do the song and put it on the soundtrack. I was surprised that this was like a, a soundtrack original and not something that Humperdinck had done before the movie. <laughs> For the movie, even. Yeah. That's wild. So, yeah, um, he kind of had a resurgence. He was, uh, we talked about Tom Jones uh, way back in, in our James Bond episode, but he was mm-hmm. sort of in that that crowd and had a, a resurgence in the 90s um, as sort of the, the lounge revival. Uh, this, was, this was a big one. He had a dance album in 1998, uh, oh. which peaked at the UK top 20. Um, and he performed the Star Spangled Banner at the 1996 Daytona 500. That's really cool. Yeah, he was my grandmother's favorite. Mm. So, and yeah, the 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 last uh, cover, real true cover on this soundtrack, which we don't have to get into very much, but it's worth noting. Uh, Ain't Nobody by LL Cool J, uh, originally performed by Shaka Khan, which uh, it, it it appears in the film as. Uh, Muddy and Dallas are banging in the backseat of Muddy's car. So it kind of makes sense that that's the song that they would be playing. But then when you actually listen to the song on the soundtrack and you start listening to the lyrics, it gets a little uncomfortable because uh, there's there's at least one there's one line in there where, where uh, LL Cool J, uh, he compares sex to the bond between mother and child. And I think that might be inappropriate. Mm. And I'm not a fan of that. Uh, the less said about this, the better. Um, let's move on. All right. Yeah, let's let's back up all the way to the very beginning of the film, not the Godzilla dream sequence, which was amazing. And also, but... I want to see Godzilla fights Beavis and Butthead. Oh man, MonsterVerse, get at us! We have an idea for you. Yes. Uh, but after that, when the like the the initial conflict is set up where Beavis and Butthead realize their TV's been stolen, it cuts straight to the opening credits, and the opening credits are. Um, a parody of the Shaft theme, actually performed by Isaac Hayes. Come for me, guy, with fire in their eyes, known by the names of Beavis Yeah. They'll chew you up and spit you out beyond a doubt. It pays not to mess with And what I love about this is their their devotion to 
sort of disco and funk mm-hmm. is surreal and strange because it really has nothing to do with anything other than why not. It's really part of that like '90s obsession with the '70s. Really, mm-hmm. it's that like '90 that '70s nostalgia was in full swing. Yeah, and we're just uh, we're two years out from uh, 1998's The Wedding Singer when we ditched the 70s and headed into the 80s. Exactly. So it all kind of fits together. But the whole the whole thing uh, is set up like they're 70s cops, and the uh, soundtrack actually has them as 70s cops on the yeah. cover. It's 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 like the intro to like a seventies cop show that happens to ha- star Beavis and Butthead. It's really good. Like it, it, I love that they keep putting Beavis and Butthead in these like scenarios where you can put them in there as cops. You can put them in there as like kung fu artists, and it all kind of works because like everything is a, is like imagining Beavis and Butthead doing literally anything is hilarious. Yes, and uh, what's neat about this song uh, is that it actually incorporates the Beavis and Butthead theme into the rhythm guitar line. Yes. And you've also got that great funk like shuk, 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 on the bass line. In, in, the, in the parlance of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, that's the, the waka-chicka, waka-chicka, waka-chicka sound. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's very easy to make fun of Beavis and Butthead for being sort of low caliber. Mm-hmm. But when you hear this theme and you see that opening title sequence, you realize you're dealing with something a little higher. They're aiming a little bit higher than the TV show ever did. Absolutely. You could accuse it of cultural appropriation um, that was typically, again, black exploitation films that's now being, you know, headed by two less than mediocre white guys. You could say the same thing about um, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of uh, Roller I Love I, Roller Coaster. Yeah, I but, guess you can say that. Yeah, I, guess, I see that. But it was the 90s and, you know, we were garbage, so... But also, like, if they hadn't been able to get Isaac Hayes to do that, I think you might have had a better argument there. Yeah, so let's because just dump all of that. Let's honestly. just dump all that. But, but but even then, like, Isaac Hayes does it so well. Like, he he really puts his all into it. Like, when he – late late in the song, if you listen to the soundtrack, where he's, like, describing Beavis and Butthead as, as uh, Casanovas and Don Juans <laughs> and players. And he's, like, really enunciating it and just letting it just ooze cool. Oh, yeah. He well, really makes it work. Yeah, he does. And this predates him on uh, South Park. Yes. Yes, it does. So. It's a parody, yes, but it doesn't punch down. And it isn't silly. It's funny, but it isn't just dumb. Right. It still, like, kind of treats the joke of it being Beavis and Butthead. It's not, they're, they're not just doing, the whole joke of it is that Beavis and Butthead shouldn't be able to get away with it. That they are not cool guys. They are. That's that's the joke. They are so not cool guys because the song is called Two Cool Guys." Yeah, they're never gonna get a bunch of chicks. They can't do kung fu. They're never gonna like jump away from an exploding warehouse. They probably are gonna get yelled at by their boss. Yes, Fred so. Williamson is mm-hmm. gonna yell at them. <laughs> Let's get into the actual road trip part of the movie because that's the meat of the movie right here. Mm-hmm. And once they actually get on the road. That's when a lot of the, I mean, aside from, you know, Love Roller Coaster, that's when a lot of the really fun songs kick in onto the soundtrack, because that's the best part of any road trip, is listening to music driving down the road. Yeah. And I think this soundtrack picks a few really good ones that, there's to me, they're so good that, like, I kind of associate these songs with driving down the road and, like, vacations and stuff, just because that's how long ago, that's how long I've been living with these songs, basically. I guess the, the first stop on our, our uh, road trip part of the movie is they play Gone Shootin' by ACDC. 
it's because I've lived with this movie for so long. This might be my favorite ACDC song. It's pretty good. I'm still going to go for Money Talks, but... That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. This is... And uh, Mike Judge has said that the Beavis and Butthead theme is cribbed. It's uh, it's the the guitar line from Gone Shootin' backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is amazing. I I can kind of hear it, too. Mm -hmm. But, like, I, I think I like this because it's a little bit different from every other ACDC song. Yeah. Because so many of them are just about uh, rock and rocket. It's like they were the proto Andrew WK, you know, where all mm-hmm. of his songs are about partying and all yeah. their songs are about rocking. Mm-hmm. And then there's this one, which is kind of about, you know, leaving someone who has a drug problem. <laughs> and it's actually about something rather than just like, you know, throwing back a six pack and, and partying on the deck. You know, it's it's... A little more substantial than that, and I think the song benefits from it, because you really need to, I don't know, pay attention to an ACDC song for once to really get what's going on here. I don't so know. So it's the perfect song for Beavis and Butthead to America. Yes, because are they going to listen to the lyrics in the song? Hell no. As soon as this song starts on the soundtrack, they cut to that amazing shot of them on the bus and just headbanging like crazy. <laughs> It's like when when uh, when I think of when I think of this song, I think of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, and I like the way because again, we've only got eighty minutes, and this movie uh, uses a lot of montages, mm-hmm. especially with the road trip stuff, and that's how they're able to get a lot of these songs in. Yeah. So, which is, it's probably not the most film school way of doing things, but it works. We're covering a lot of ground, and we're able to take a couple choice scenes uh like them at uh at yellowstone and old faithful yeah yeah uh the tour guide there is played by eric bogosian who was sort of known to most people uh as the captain on law and order criminal intent for a while he is also an author a playwright and wrote uh talk radio and i have a weird crush on him oh wow i'm kind of super in love with him he wrote a uh, a collection of monologues called pounding nails in the floor with my forehead that i have memorized most of that's amazing yeah so like eric fucking bogosian's in this movie this rules he once gave a reading that made me so uncomfortable i thought i was gonna have to leave the room it was amazing he's the best <laughs> maybe like viscerally uncomfortable i love him oh wow uh so yeah where do you want to go from here the the other big scene in this film, and we're jumping all over, is they're in the desert. They've managed to bypass the FBI, yes. who is looking for them with this stolen device. And they wander out into the desert. <laughs> this desert is stupid. They need to put a drinking fountain out here. <sighs> yeah, yeah, or like a 7-Eleven or something. Uh, there's a bit where they run into their dads. They don't know it. So. How could you not, though? Because they're Beavis and Butthead. I, I know, but it's, like, it's, it's basically the old version of Beavis and Butthead in the desert, voiced by David Letterman, of all people. Yes. Which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a big fan. And they continue on their, their trip, and Beavis eats a cactus, which turns out to make him hallucinate. And that is set to White Zombies, Rat Finks, Suicide Tanks, and Cannibal Girls. Let's go to a clip.
Zombie is one of those bands that I didn't listen to. I knew from t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, usually worn by by trash. Yep. But what I've listened to, which is admittedly not a lot, I kind of dig. Uh, he does a great cover of I'm Your Boogeyman Ooh. that I play every Halloween. And uh, he does one called Living Dead Girl that I really like. This one is not my favorite because it. the thing is it works really well in the movie. And there's this great trippy sequence that sort of it's based on Rob Zombie's drawings, which are basically Rat Fank knockoffs. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And it's like a lot of his album covers look just like this. Yeah. And it works so well in the movie. On the soundtrack itself, it doesn't. I think the problem is that like the hook for the song is a lot better than the like the lyrics. Because mm-hmm. once once the lyrics kick in and he's and he, he's kind of like he's kind of just doing it like this and, and then that or he's like screaming yeah, it's just kind of nothing. Mm-hmm. But then once the actual like guitar hook kicks in, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's, I just it's, the peak and the valley are so like far apart though. Yeah, and for me, it like I said, it just doesn't work without the the visuals because the visuals mm-hmm. are so strong. Um, my husband thinks uh the little devil buttheads like dance is the funniest thing ever <laughs> he, sh- he should get a tattoo of beavis's or uh, sorry he should get a tattoo of butthead's butt on his butt <laughs> that's a very beavis and butthead thing to do <laughs> so I, I think that's a line from the movie like, yeah i'm gonna get a tattoo of an ass on my ass <laughs> but like this scene in this movie like was one of the things that i always remembered like from the first time i saw this when i was like 12 mm-hmm. was just like this put a mark on my brain and not a great one. Cause this is like what I, th- I thought of every time I heard like heavy metal or something, everything looks like this. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't know if I was okay with that <laughs> until much later. And it turned out, Oh yeah, none of, none of this is really truly evil. It's just really weird and cool. Yeah. Like, you know, you grow, you grow up in a, in a household where you go to church every Sunday and you hear about stuff like this and then you see it and you're like, Oh my God. But then once you kind of live with it for a while and realize that they're all, we're all just people just having fun here, it's fine. It's nothing that outrageous, to be honest. Yeah, it's honest. kind of disappointing that heavy metal isn't actually, like, as cool as they make it sound. Like, I mean, I love heavy metal. I'm going to see, uh, like, take that back. I love symphonic metal. I'm there going to go. see Delane and Sonata Artica. I've seen them for the second time later this year. So Very cool. Yeah, um, my music tastes are wide and varied. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to see Steely Dan like the next night after Sonata Artica. <laughs> True story. Yeah. Like as, as much as I love a lot of this stuff, like like you, like you know, I contain multitudes and I like all kinds of music. Like my next concert is Weird Al in a couple of weeks. It's That's gonna awesome. be great. That's really fun. Um, but yeah, it's not. You're like, oh man, you mean I'm not worshiping Satan? Oh. Okay. I mean, I mean, don't let that stop you. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it. It gets a little disappointing when you're like, ah, oh, you feel so rebellious, and they're like, wait a second. These guys are all just rebelling against their dads too. <laughs> <laughs> like, and also, uh, I was familiar at least with Rob Zombie because he also appeared on the the Beavis and Butthead Experience CD, mm-hmm. where his song is is much more in your face. It's just a song where where the lyrics repeated over and over are him screaming, "I am hell." Oh, he's trying so hard. <laughs> he's trying so hard. It's kind of adorable. That's you're very scary, Rob. You're a very scary man. <laughs> Would you like another piece of, of Halloween candy, Robbie? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> My name's not Robbie, Mom. Jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's Rob. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the Rob Zombie scared everybody. And scene. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ratfig, Suicide Tanks, and Cannibal Girls is a much better song title than it is a song. Yes. And actually, I had to have my husband, uh, who's an artist, explain Ratfig to me because mm-hmm. I sort of knew it, but not, I knew of it, but so- not, I. Uh, not anything more than that. Like, I knew it was sort of associated with, with hot rod culture. I was going to say, yeah, like, can you, like, give us a little bit of that real Yes. Quick? Um, he was created by Ed Big Daddy Roth. Uh, in a 1963 issue of Carcraft, it was called The Rage in California, and there was a plastic model kit of him. There was a resurgence of Rat Fink in the 80s and the 90s as part of the garage and punk rock movement. Mm, okay. So, again, it's it's tied with that rockabilly, car culture, leopard print, Betty Page sort of era that we, we think of when we think of that, that kind of culture in the 1950s. Underground, kind of. So that's Rap Fink. And I, I was surprised um, to learn that it went back that far because I, I knew about it sort of through the, the 80s and associated it with that. I didn't realize it had gone as far back as 1963. Yeah, like yeah. What, my last comment on this song is that it it, it kind of feels like uh, a song that wants to be on the Cool World soundtrack. I was not, just gonna say that isn't quite cool enough. I was just gonna say I'm really kind of surprised there's no White Zombie on the Cool World soundtrack. It may have predated it. Maybe so. Um, yeah, but just a true. little bit. Also, the Crow. If this yeah. is a little fun for the Crow, but I'm kind of surprised we didn't see some some White Zombie on the Crow. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say The Crow is a little grungier than that, but no, because they've got crap like Pantera on that soundtrack, so why not? Yeah, and um, I always think of White Zombie sort of alongside my life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's let's move on from Rat Finks. Uh, while we're in this, this subject of that sort of uh, deliberately white trash metal we've got two songs on here uh the butthole surfers the lord is a monkey mm-hmm. if you didn't have the butthole surfers on the beavis and butthead soundtrack you would be missing out just for the name alone this song not my thing yeah just it's yeah. the butthole servers in general not my thing yeah it's that psychedelic noise rock just doesn't doesn't do it for me but what does it for me is southern cultures on the skids white trash <laughs> I unapologetically love it's got that it's got that psychedelia that white zombie and the butthole surfers have with more of that country twang on this one that to me is of that yeah it it feels like it's kind of of a piece with like the tommy boy soundtrack yes and the soundtrack has we've got sort of a a punk section which we're gonna get to we have the funk section and we also have this white trash psychedelia and of those of that that set, this is my my favorite piece of this. This song was also used. I actually, I had heard this sound this song on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. I didn't make the connection of what it was 
until I, I heard it later on the concept trailer for Eric Powell's The Goon. Huh. It is also used in that. And I was like, where do I know that song from? And then in this rewatch, I was like, yes, Beavis and Butthead to America. So it is, it's a, it's just trashy, but in a really good way. I think I the other, the other uh, aspect of that, that we're kind of missing is that I, th- I want to say that group, at least the butthole servers I know are from Texas and the Southern culture on the skids. They're from, where are they from? Oh, they're from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Never mind. They're from my neck of the woods. But uh, at, at least with butthole servers, like that's Texas, and that's where Mike Judge is from, and that's where Beavis and Butthead live. So it kind of it kind of is of a piece there. It fits. Yes, it but I I would have thought that just from the the way this one sounds, that they would have been from Texas. Yeah, me too. That's a big surprise to me. Um. All right, yeah, so where do we go from here? Well, we've kind of covered the funk section, and we've kind of covered the uh, the white trash section of the uh, the album. Let's jump to the punk section and talk about a little band called Rancid. Yeah. <laughs> so the second leg of Beavis and Butthead's uh, trip across America, doing America, as the movie calls it, uh, they ac- they're left behind at uh, Old Faithful. And they hop on the just the next available bus because they don't know any different. And they get on a bus full of nuns. <laughs> and they start making their way across the Southwest uh, to the, the dulcet tones of Rancid and the stubborn all-stars with I Want a Riot. <laughs> Naked chick, and then this dude puts a leaf on his schlong. <laughs> but this this song, like, okay, so I'm not the biggest fan of Rancid either. Mm. Like, I'm familiar with I'm familiar with them. I've heard a couple other songs. Ruby Soho's okay. Yeah. But then I Want to Riot is so fun and energetic that I have a hard time disliking it. Yeah, I sort of feel the same about Rancid. My sister Hillary really, really loves them. I'm ambivalent at best. Mm-hmm. So, And I kind of felt that way about this one. And it's, it's played so briefly in the film that I actually had to go back and check which one this was. It's a little... Because well, in the movie, they kind of just play the guitar solo and that's it. Yeah. And the song is like five minutes long. <laughs> Way longer than it should be. Yeah. It didn't do anything to me. That's fine. Meh. But it's, it, it's one that I've found that I like to scream along to on when I'm driving on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> but especially like when I'm coming home from work and feeling like I'm ready to fucking do something with my evening. Like I will scream, I wanna riot. <laughs> You're gonna riot. You're punk rock. Hell yeah, I am the most white bread corporate punk rock man alive. That's me. <laughs> I'm going to riot right after I get home and change into my rioting clothes. <laughs> what are your rioting clothes? <laughs> uh, shorts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not cool enough to have like uh, checkered vans and I don't know, whatever riot kids wear. Dirty Converse as far as I can tell. That's fair. So. Yeah. I I don't know. I like I Want to Riot. 
we're now sort of into, I feel like, kind of the filler section. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered all the good songs. Pretty much. So um, I want to give a special shout out to How Terrible Snakes by No Doubt is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a fucking garbage song. Like I initially thought this was like a reject B-side from Tragic Kingdom. I was wrong. This this predates Tragic Kingdom, and it shows. Yeah. I in listening to this one, I find Gwen Stefani exhausting. <laughs> I don't know what it is about her. I don't know if it's her cool girl shtick or her constant need for cultural appropriation or the fact that she is fucking Blake Shelton. I just, I find her very, very, very tiring. And here is no different. This oh. song has nothing to it and it's crap uh, especially like late in the song when she like trills her voice the way she does and it's just Ugh. like oh, nails on a chalkboard yeah she's like oh right that was like that was her gimmick for a while wasn't it yeah um <laughs> so do you watch what we do in the shadows i do not know you should it's amazing but there's okay. an episode that revolves around sort of psychic vampires mm-hmm. and that's every time i listen to a gwen stefani song i think that's what she is She's a psychic vampire. Yeah, because I just feel really drained. It t- she takes a lot out of you. I yeah. understand. I can't explain it. So, um, and I, like, I feel like it's really time that we, as a society, especially if we as women, look at Gwen Stefani and be like, bitch, you're canceled. I mean, she did ruin Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, let's not even talk about how bad that is. Um, actually, very quickly, let's talk about uh, Ozzy Osbourne's Walk on Water. Because the song is actually pretty good. It's all right. It, the, the, the version that appears in the film is not the version that appears on the soundtrack. No, and the version in the film is better. It, it is definitely better. And, and everyone so agrees, including Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, so we're going to put a clip from that here right now. I met a magic man who had a daughter. She learned her lessons well, but still I taught her. She I mean, this is also not one of my favorite Ozzy songs because, like, I think as just a boring white trash heavy metal fan, I like the more the faster paced, more up tempo Ozzy music. And this one is just kind of it makes me want to take a nap. The best Ozzy song is "Shot in the Dark." So, I mean, that's a funny way to spell Hellraiser, but okay. No. Yeah, it's "Shot in the Dark." <laughs> All right, that song rules. <laughs> that's fair. So, I. Uh... I really feel like we've neglected to talk about the movie, which is a little, which is too bad because this well, movie rules. It rules, but also like we don't want to ruin all of the best jokes. No. Like, and, like explaining comedy is like the worst thing you can do. But I want to talk about why this film continues to work because there's mm. a couple things in it that that shouldn't have aged as well as they did. Notably, the fact that even though the whole thing is about them trying to score, at no point do they ever cross a line into either groping a woman or going at her without her consent. Almost to the point where, like, nobody notices. Like, when they're on the plane, uh, Butthead falls in love with the stewardess. And is trying to talk to her. He brings her a beer. She does not even notice him. Yeah, the only time she notices him is when the plane nearly crashes and he just falls back to the back of the plane. Yes. 
and, and she looks then, at him like, what are you doing? Yes. And also, like, the whole end sequence of the film where they finally get to Washington, D.C. is so full of scenes of them, like, announcing, okay, we're in Washington. We are ready to score. Let's do this. They don't know what they're doing or where they're going. They just keep saying, we're ready to score. And everyone kind of looks at them like they're crazy people. Yes, although uh, it is notable. One of the jokes, I think, that hasn't aged as well is when they get in to, uh, I think it's the Senate, and they make an announcement that they're uh, looking for the chick with the big hooters, and the entirely male Senate laughs. And they all all start doing Beavis and Butthead laughs. Yeah, which is funny, because they're doing Beavis and Butthead laughs. On the other hand, you're like, with everything, especially as we head into... Uh, the Star Report and Ugh. Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. You're just sort of like, ooh, that's a little bit of a cringe joke. But right, this was this like predates that just barely, doesn't yes. it? Oh, yes. Oh man. Um, but, but also, it, 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 it's the one joke in the film that kind of implies that everybody in the movie is just as bad as Beavis and Butthead. Mm-hmm. I think it's it works because that's the only time they do it. If this had been the whole movie of like re- revealing that everybody around Beavis and Butthead is also horrible, it would not be the same movie. Yes, I agree. Um, I also want to talk about uh, Cloris Leachman and the speech that Beavis gives. Let's play a clip from that. I'm sick and tired of this. We're never going to score. It's just not going to happen. We're just going to get old like these people. But they've probably scored. Hey, I'm warning you. Sit down. It's like this chick's a slut. And look at this guy. He's old, but he's probably scored a million times. Oh, yeah. But not us. We're never going to score. We're never going to score. We're never going to It's so... I think we as the audience, or maybe the joke is like, ha-ha, old people have sex. But they're not grossed out by it. They're actually admiring it. When this movie came out, we were just coming, you know, we're not far removed from the AIDS crisis. Yes. So the idea of people enjoying sex it was mm-hmm. somewhat new again. And I think it was also like the the like peak uh, boys will be boys, quote unquote. Like when, every, when like everybody fucking said that about kids mm-hmm. and like just as, as a way of hand waving whatever dumb shit, you know, 14 year old boys were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's Beavis and Butthead to a T. Like everyone kind of agrees to look the other way because uh, they're 14 year old boys. That's what they do. You know, mm-hmm. which is not like uh, it's not uh, excusing any of it, but it's kind of like dismissing it to the point where and they're not really actively harming anybody. They're just being idiot 14 year old boys. See, I think it's it's weirdly sweet in that their acknowledgement that like other people have sex. Oh, and no, they, that, that's yeah, that's great. Yeah, that they want to score and that they don't. They don't have the language or the ability to. And I feel like in a lesser film, mm-hmm. in a film that wasn't aware that these guys are not heroes, uh, they would have gotten the girl in the end. And they don't. They absolutely do not. Be- like, Butthead gets close, quote unquote, <laughs> and it goes badly for him. Did I just score? <laughs> yeah, he gets oh, a full no. cavity search. No, I wasn't even thinking about that. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. I, w- I was thinking about a scene when he's in the White House and he he opens the wrong door. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Actually, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, Beavis and Butthead get into the White House because that's where the tour group goes. 
Beavis goes into full-on cornholio mode and wreaks havoc. Meanwhile, Butthead is just wandering around the, the, the White House, and he stumbles into this one room where we see Chelsea Clinton folding clothes. And she just, like, stares at him. And he stares back, and he says, I noticed you have braces. I have braces, too. So. And then it immediately cuts to her shoving him out of a window. <laughs> Which I love, because you have to remember, in the 90s, everybody made fun of Chelsea Clinton, who was mm-hmm. a fucking child. She was a child. And people made fun of her looks. They were The right-wing media was so cruel to her. And the fact that that Butthead could see her as an object of beauty mm-hmm. with her braces, with her being Chelsea Clinton, he, that didn't matter to him. She had braces. He, too, had braces. And that is weirdly beautiful when you think about how edgy that kind of was. Mm-hmm. But also, it makes me realize that like throughout the whole film, Butthead actually kind of knows what he's doing a little bit like he tries to talk women out he tries to talk women up and he tries to like it's like hey i've got a beer you want to hang out or just you know he puts on the smooth voice he's try he's actively trying and it never works out but you can tell he at least knows what you're kind of sort of supposed to do he's butthead so he of course he's never going to score come to butthead <laughs> but it's it's a far cry from beavis who is the just being Cornholio and needs TP for his bunghole. Yeah. And maybe one of the best gags of the entire movie is when the entire FBI is, like, about to gun him, gun him down. And then, like, Greg Kinnear is on the horn trying to, like, call in his demands. And he's like, we need some TP. And he's like, what? What's going on? <laughs> like, it's amazing. At no point does anybody ever acknowledge that the Cornholio thing is weird. They're just like, okay, we're going to roll with it. Yeah, he's a terror. And they get the uh, the FBI file that he is a terrorist and he almost took down a plane. But it's really just Beavis on caffeine pills. Yeah, really. <laughs> and that it's played so straight. And I realized in watching this that Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is the exact same film where two dum-dums are set up to look like terrorists. On a cross-country road trip. You know what that you know what that also describes though? That also describes the plot of Dumb and Dumber. But not they're not terrorists. Well, the FBI is after them. That's true. So actually there's a there were a lot of comedies in this era that have that same structure. The road not just the road trip, but like a woman sets them up on a mission, like the feds are after them for one reason or another. The two people are idiots. Like it all kind of fits together as like a, a formula that they kept just hammering out and it always worked yeah and they all have great soundtracks uh the dumb and dumber soundtrack we were talking about this earlier has a uh crash test dummies covering xtc's the ballad of peter Pumpkinhead, which is a fucking amazing cover it's it, that's on rules yeah yeah the Farrelly brothers put together good soundtracks not great movies but good soundtracks um and mm. uh jay and silent bob strikes back has one of the best soundtracks of that era that's we're oh, heading yeah. up in, we're up into the 2000s by that point but that is an incredible soundtrack mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. honestly is probably kevin smith's best soundtrack followed by clerks uh yeah i mean i'm gonna no i'm i'm no forget it forget mall rats fuck it fuck mall rats <laughs> it's hard to say beavis and butthead are pure and innocent but it's tempting it's so nice <laughs> to meet young men who are so well-mannered as as crass and as dumb and and gross as they often are, 
there is you're right there is something kind of sweet about the way this show or this movie rather puts beavis and butthead at odds with like i don't know society's convention of beauty yes there you go perfect (laughs) but i think it's also that they're not rewarded that Mm. they never do score because again if they did then their lothario behavior is justified and the thing is it's not we're not supposed to want to be beavis and butthead they're garbage and also you're not supposed to want 14 year olds to score anyway yeah so the funniest for me the funniest joke in this movie is when they're in dallas's hotel room Mm -hmm. and they're gonna do her (laughs) and she realizes that they they're not there to kill her they don't even know what's up and she plans to use them and they're fighting and beavis screams you always get to go first and butthead says dude we've never done this before (laughs) (laughs) because it again it acknowledges that they don't know what they're doing yeah they really they've they've never scored and they're never gonna score and it's gonna their tombstone is gonna read here lies beavis he never scored oh (laughs) it's true though like the most the most reward they get at the end of this movie having accidentally saved the day and returned the uh the bio bio weapon to the fbi and being named uh honorary uh atf agents yeah by bill clinton himself in his second beavis and butthead appearance he appears on the show yes uh they I think Butthead, Butthead actually says this. Like, when they get back, he's like, you know what sucks the most? We never scored and we never got any money. <laughs> but as soon as they get home, they find their stolen TV. It's a so little every, worse for the wear. Everything is right with the world. Yes, everything comes back, which I I love. I'm happy for them. Yeah, like, and the movie does a really good job of actually, like, getting you to to love that they all they got exactly what they wanted out of this road trip like they didn't score but all they were really after was a new t- was their tv yeah it's very big lebowski in that kind of way mm-hmm. so what do you think of this how does this work as a soundtrack it's a pretty standard soundtrack for a movie honestly like it, it just kind of presents the songs that are on them in the movie and really nothing else mm-hmm. like we don't get any anything special like we don't even get any like sound clips from the movie like if you're gonna do that this is the movie to do that with oh yeah but they don't do it. Uh, but there are, like, you know, like we said earlier, there are some real bangers on here. Like, I love, like, maybe half of the soundtrack and the other half I could kind of take or leave. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of a mixed bag. But uh, I would definitely I definitely appreciate having, you know, a- the ACDC track, the uh, I'm going to say it, the Rancid track, the Red Hot Chili Peppers track. Like, those are really good. And mm-hmm. I would maybe junk, maybe junk the other half. Okay. Libby, what, do you, what about you? Um, I'm going to go for about the same thing. I think we we vary. I'm going to keep uh, Southern culture on the skids. And um, I'll keep, you know, I'll keep. I want to riot. Okay. But uh, one of the things that I really noticed about this soundtrack uh, in, in, putting, in listening to it for this podcast, it is hard to find. It's not on streaming. A lot of it has been removed from YouTube. It did get a vinyl re-release a few years ago on Picture mm-hmm. Disc. Ooh, nice. So it's a, it's really nice. The Beavis and Butthead experience also was released on vinyl. And they're worth picking up. Picture Discs, uh, just to warn you, tend to run a little softer. So you can't play them as often. 
they right. need a little more care, which is a drag. But uh, it's definitely worth picking up because you can't stream it. Right. But the, uh, also, the CD is available, and it's fairly cheap. Yeah. It's fairly easy to come by. Yeah. So, uh, but again, that that is the refrain. That is, honestly, should be the tagline of this podcast, is the importance of physical media. Yeah, it's the, like like the title of the blog that I keep trying to launch then can never seem to do. Keep your DVDs, people. Yeah, I always used to say kill your iPod. Yeah, I've made that, work, that, that works too. Yeah, I've made, made peace with my iPod. But yeah, my husband has this on DVD. Mm-hmm. So it is available uh, for streaming. You can rent this. Yes. So, but the I, TV show is the TV show is on YouTube uh, for pay, and I think on Amazon as well. Yeah, the problem with the TV show is that like they they do so much with music videos that like it kind of complicates the rights for how to package the show together as mm-hmm. one whole because they have to dole out the they have to pay for the licensing fees for all these different kinds of music. Yeah. So it, it's I think it's easier to just like look up your favorite clips on YouTube, honestly. Yeah. Agreed. But they did. They also did uh, bring it back for one season in like 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and it's honestly as good as the show ever was. Like they didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Really. So I will say this: it has aged better than Daria. So you know, I've never really watched Daria. Daria is Beavis and Butthead for girls. But the right. problem with Daria is that. She was written as a girl that's way cooler than all of us, which is fine when you're in high school and you feel like, oh, nobody understands me. But when you get into your 30s, you're like, you know what? She's a rude bitch. She's rude to people. <laughs> she's condescending. She thinks she's so much better than everybody else. It's like it's like Hole once said, oh, just shut up. You're only 16. <laughs> so Beautiful. this this is still funny. Daria is so fucking cringy. In so many places, you realize that she's she's kind of a bitch. So would you say that she she's earned the nickname Diarrhea? No. Okay. No. But <laughs> I will always hold a little bit of a special place in my heart for Daria because I looked exactly like Daria in high school. Mm. Bangs, glasses, pleated skirt, combat boots. So I, I, <sighs> I identify more with Jane, but. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I got called Daria in high school a lot. Uh well that yeah that uh, just about does it for uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America I think we both like like you just heard we both heartily recommend the film it's held up remarkably well mm-hmm. over the last twenty twenty three years so. and the soundtrack it's okay like pick and choose your favorite tr- clips and songs and make your own playlist yeah which there's... we should really be doing we should yeah. really be doing that with our every every episode to be yeah honest. except the half of them aren't available so that yeah you're right so I should get into doing YouTube playlists yeah that's true. So, so what are we doing next time? Well, next time on the show, it's our, our latest fifth episode. So we're going to do something a little weird again. Uh, we're going to cover all of the Will Smith uh, movie theme songs. Yes. Will we're Smith gonna... is going to wrap the movies, everybody. Will Smith is going to wrap the movies. We got Men in Black. We got Men in Black 2. Uh, we got Wild Wild West. Uh, we'll even uh, make up our own Will Smith lyrics for Independence Day. Yes, indeed. I, I make no promises. I, I said it, and I make no promises. That is Will Smith's primary genre. Mm-hmm. He does it better than anybody. It's about the only thing he does well. He practically invented the form, too. So I think we're, we're going to have a lot to talk about with this one, I think. So Honestly, that's going to be fun. give Will Smith a James Bond theme. <laughs> For real, people. Come on. 
He would just recount the the plot of whatever James Bond movie Daniel Craig is starring in or whatever. But honestly, why haven't we? Why have we not given Will Smith a James Bond theme? Uh, so to round out the episode, we got one last late uh, Beavis and Butthead experience uh, uh, to to read for you here. Uh, our friend Rodney on Twitter at skip kid 24 says I was 31 when they came on TV and I thought it was the funniest show ever. And the best thing about them was the fact that they were actual excellent music critics that destroyed bad music videos and were actually very perceptive in their criticisms. Hmm. And who can forget? He goes on who can forget the late Senator Ernest Fritz Hollings, Democrat, South Carolina going on a rant about objectionable TV and calling them buff coat and beaver. <laughs> I rem- I mean I don't remember that from the back in the day. I do remember that clip. It's pretty yes. great. And it's it's weird watching that to think I mean that's so innocent. Beavis and Butthead is so innocent compared to what was gonna follow. And maybe they opened the door for the Jersey Shore. I don't know. But they are from a a more innocent time. Everybody who complained about Beavis and Butthead back in the day basically was I mean, obviously wasn't watching it. But uh, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and and uh, tell you that it was all for nothing. No, what? Yes, I am. Beavis and Butthead is innocent, and we should all appreciate it. <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck them, I say. <laughs> so that's the end of the episode. Uh, Libby, where can our, our uh, listeners find you on the internet? You can find me at Libby Cudmore on Twitter and at record underscore Saturday on instagram you can also hear me on the shattered shield podcast at uh, shield shattered and uh you can find me on twitter at cordial wombat and also if you're interested in christmas movies i have a podcast all about that called christmas creeps uh but yeah so uh for ost party i am joseph wade and i'm libby cudmore buy the ticket take the ride lesbian Settle down and rest with me. Oh, fly with me, lesbian seeker. To my little nest by the sea. Oh, uh, you know that guy in whose camper they. I, I mean, that guy off in whose camper they were whacking. That's better.